Undoubtedly, the biggest question we face today is whether or not there will be a revolution in the United States of America, without which it seems impossible for us to solve, for example, the global climate crisis. So, the question is, are we going to have a revolution in the United States of America? And the answer must be, yes, we are. This is Mass Action Podcast. Revolutionary socialist propaganda to save the planet, smash white supremacy, and stop World War III. This is your host, John Beecham. Today on Mass Action Podcast, we talk with Kathy Kelly from Creative Voices for Nonviolence about the recently released Afghanistan papers, which detail all of the lies that have been told to us about the Afghanistan war. And next up, the podcast. So, do you remember when Nancy Pelosi, her counterpart in the Senate, and Barack Obama in 2008 had been swept into office, the Democratic Party had, and controlled the government. They could have done whatever they wanted to. On the heels of the anti-war movement and the immigrant rights movement, they really could have, literally because there were millions of people in the streets demanding change, and they were elected on change, could have done whatever they wanted to. In fact, they all promised immigration reform, and even had the backing from people across the quote unquote other uh, across the aisle, the Republicans, including George Bush, who was for immigration reform, and that reactionary racist John McCain, he was also for immigration reform. But they did absolutely nothing. Now, look, the list of things Pelosi has said and done could go on forever. She has shouted down students who asked her about the, the viability of capitalism, saying the Democratic Party is a capitalist party. Just the other day, she admitted to a student's question that she knew about the lies of the Iraq war that led to one of the greatest criminal tragedies perpetrated by the Pentagon and U.S. imperialism against the people of Iraq and and the world that perhaps has really honestly ever happened. And again, it was all based on lies. She knew the lies and said nothing, didn't try to stop anything. And even said she wouldn't impeach, impeach George Bush for, for the lies. Really quite, quite incredible. Quite incredible. In fact, I just the other day saw a video of her blowing a kiss to George Bush's, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush, the first Bush president, uh, coffin at, it, at, it, at his funeral. Do you remember when Pelosi got tooled by Trump uh, in the DACA affair? And the Democrats got nothing, nothing on immigration. And Trump completely tooled. Uh, the Democrats with Pelosi at the helm. Also, do you remember in the 2018 election cycle when Pelosi told us to stop talking about the children in the cages at the border because it was a distraction from the election? And just a couple days ago, Pelosi led the Democrats in helping to pass the new uh, Defense Spending Authorization Act, which gives Trump's administration a raise in the Pentagon budget 
gives him his Space Force and does nothing about him continuing to raid the Defense Department budget in order to build his racist white supremacist wall. All right. So why am I saying all this about Pelosi? I mean, it's clear that no one should be following Pelosi based on the things that she has done, the things that she has said, the record, the clear record that she has compiled in working against the people's interests, despite what she said, or what she has said, despite the fact that she comes across as a progressive, despite the fact that she comes from a supposedly progressive district in San Francisco, she is not our friend. So why are people following her? Why is she at the helm, uh, as ridiculous as it is to say, it's not really a resistance, at the resistance to Trump? And and why are we left to uh, watch as spectators as she takes on Bush over the Ukraine gate affair, which is clearly, clearly an FBI uh, state-inspired campaign against Trump to attack him, to minimize his influence And the Democrats are attaching themselves to this campaign in the hopes that it will help them uh, win the 2020 election. Well, why are people following Pelosi? Um, And and the fact is, is that not that many people are following Pelosi. I mean, there is not a movement. There is not a movement of workers and oppressed people impressing upon the powers uh, of Washington, D.C. that they need to do A, B, or C. Now, there is still the progressive aspirations of the people that have been manifested in other ways, including the election of more genuinely progressive people to offices from city halls to Washington, D.C. But there is not the kind of movement that would push Pelosi to the side as a main player in the political mainstream in the United States. That will happen. It has to happen. But what do we do until then? Well, we keep building But we certainly and absolutely keep propagandizing patiently, but forthrightly and very, very precisely against people like Pelosi, despite the fact that people are going to say things like, oh, that's going to help Trump or that's going to help the right wing. Well, that's nonsense. Not attacking someone like Pelosi helps the right wing. I'm going to say this again, and I'm going to leave on this note. Not attacking. When I say attacking, I mean going after her policies, right? And, and trying to build the type of movement, maybe in advance here, that can literally discard both the Democrats and Republicans who have been completely discredited at this point in history. That's, that's my friends, uh, what we can do. That's precisely what we can do, and that's what we should be doing. Mass Action Podcast is anchored on SoundCloud.com. You should become a follower there. That would be very helpful. Mass Action Podcast can also be found at iTunes, Spotify, and Podcast Addict. Uh, You should also very much so check out our website because Mass Action Podcast is more than a podcast. It's part of Mass Action. You can go to mass-action.org where you can find conversations with people in the movement. Some pretty good conversations other articles, clapbacks at the media. You can read our latest article, The Democrats, Ukraine Gate, and The Truth. And finally, become a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash mass action and become a patron for as little as $2 and get exclusive content. Propaganda like this, uh, if you like it, if you support it, it has to be supported. It doesn't happen on its own. We still live in the real world. So please, please share and become a patron now.
Kathy Kelly is the co-coordinator of Voices for Creative Nonviolence. She traveled to Iraq from 1996 to 2006, multiple times or regularly to break the sanctions and also to tell the story about what was going on there and to try to provide other types of relief. She is also from 2010 to the present, traveled to Afghanistan over 30 times. Welcome to Mass Action Podcast, Kelly. Kathy. Well, thank you, John. Kathy it's Kelly. a privilege to be oh, on Kathy. your podcast. I'll get it right. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I don't know if it's a privilege. We'll see. We'll find out. We will definitely find out. So one of or the reason why I reached out to you to be on the podcast is because I saw a post you made on Facebook in response to an article Vijay Prashad wrote in response to uh, the Afghanistan papers a lot of documents that were uh were uh that the washington post was able to obtain and is now published detailing how for the full 18 plus years of the war that we've just been lied to of course you and i know that there's just a mountain of lies in regards to the war in afghanistan from the beginning until today so there's not much surprise there but your comment highlighted what vj said in his article about there's almost no mention of the afghanistan people in the discussion uh, in the in the papers themselves and in the discussion of the of the um, Afghanistan papers. So I was wondering, since you've been to Afghanistan so often, if you could just in your sort of your frame, um, you know, what you think about the war and the and the the devastation and the conditions of the 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 people in Afghanistan. Because obviously, for those of us who do anti-war work, the people who are victimized, and targeted, and abused come first and foremost. Mm. Well, you know, it's a sad tragedy to me that the atrocities that have taken place in Afghanistan and included in that, I would certainly rank um, the house raids, the special operations procedures, the drone warfare, the targeted assassinations, uh, all of the ways in which corruption was aided and increased because the United States would send a lot of money and then just not follow the money, basically. All of the... um, harsh and difficult consequences that have befallen people in Afghanistan seem not to make it into the public view. And I think if it did, it's the same as with what we did in Iraq. If people had known that hundreds of thousands of children were dying as a direct result of the economic sanctions, they would have said, well, that's wrong. You know, that's not the the way we want to behave in the world. Well, there have been so many wrongs done in Afghanistan, but one thing that deeply, deeply troubles me is that John Sofko, he was, is the director of the um, CIGAR reports, the Special Inspector General on Afghan Reconstruction reports, are provided by him four times a year. So if you or I were elected members of Congress four times a year on our desk, there would plop a very hefty report. And so all of that... News that's coming out now, and and good on the Washington Post for pursuing a legal way to get the full text of those documents. But they, it's not that the Congress people didn't have reports steadily about corruption and about the ways in which the United States was failing militarily. But at no point, unless you went to Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International or the writing of some books by authors like Anand Gopal, you wouldn't, through any U.S. reporting, easily get to the cruelty 
of what I had just mentioned, the special operations procedures, the drone attacks, the targeted assassinations, the the ways in which people were displaced and tortured and persecuted. And that's part of Afghan suffering. Well, I'll even, I think you're right there. And also I will say as someone who's been an anti-war activist this entire time, uh, there's plenty of revelations that have come about. Uh, There's plenty of things we know. Um, you know, we know that most of the drone attacks, for example, kill civilians. Um, we know uh, just I, there's so many we can make a list. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of instances um, where we know what's been happening on the ground. Um, and also, um, you know, that 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 we're being lied to um, or that and not just being lied to, misled to over and over again. That there's something that there's something about the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan that is good for the Afghan people, the people in Afghanistan that is, or, or for people here. It reminds me, um, you know, the news that, or, or it was uh, Pelosi said in an interview just a few days ago here that she knew that the Bush administration was lying or misleading the people uh, uh, in regards to the Iraq War, in regards to the weapons of mass destruction, which, by the way. She also trumpeted that lie. She also said that Saddam Hussein had, had weapons of mass destruction at the at the time. And when I heard that, I I, I mean, I just I kind of assumed um, it wasn't a surprise to me that that, that she had known that. Um, but it's it's very very strike it's very very striking to me um, the extent of the misinformation, the, the 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 misleadingness, for lack of a better way of saying it. And just the lies when it comes to things this this serious. I mean, Pelosi wouldn't even, she said, Bob, I know they lied about the Iraq war and millions of people died and so much more suffering happened, but it wasn't an impeachable offense. Well, I think selling weapons or providing weapons to another country that's at war should be looked at. And um, I'm not sure that impeaching Trump would put an end to that, but that seems to me to be the far more important issue. And the United States has been peddling weapons to both sides of conflicts all around the globe for a very long time. And I, I mean, it, it, it is true that no matter which president was in place, the U.S. military and the weapon companies, I think, have always maintained the upper hand and been able to uh, use the, the force of their lobbying and the the, the money that they've sort of, I think, illegally gained by right. uh, forcing uh, elected representatives to either do what they say or Kathy, when Kathy, you cut out there. An, Kathy, you cut out there for uh, a, a second. Um, you, you were talking about, um, um, the, you know, whether either either president, the military, and that the arms manufacturers have the upper hand. Um, right. And and I think that they, they, they don't want the U.S. public to know what's happening. And there's been a kind of a vice-like grip through this military, industrial, congressional, media, Washington, D.C. complex, so that people don't understand very much and then they stop caring very much. Uh, right. And there aren't that many soldiers really proportionate to the, our population coming back. And then people don't really seem to care very much that 22 combat veterans kill themselves every day in the United States. So I think there's a tremendous dismissiveness and lack of curiosity on the part of a public that's been largely fed sports and entertainment and you know snippets of local news 
But the none of the candidates, for instance, running for the presidency right now, have shown an active interest in foreign policy or ending wars. And then the, you know this bloated budget for more war, for more defense, for more weapons has just gotten passed with all of the anti-war amendments dropped out. Yep. So you know we're we're in a situation where the United States is one among many warlords in Afghanistan, but we're the most threatening warlord in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if anything is for me is the lesson of the learned, the lesson learned, that's what they're talking about, of the so-called Afghanistan papers, is that uh the, the Afghanistan the Afghanistan war and the other wars the US has been involved in have been, yes, they've been perpetrated through lies and like shedding the truth on the American public. But they've been vast criminal enterprises, murderous enterprises of really just uh, unseen proportions uh, to drop as many weapons or uh, on a population uh, as the, as bombs as the United States has, you know, mostly poor countries since World War II, vastly more than all of the munitions that were used in World War II, is really one of uh, one of, in my opinion, is one of the greatest crimes imaginable. I mean, you know, it's almost flippant that. Pelosi can go on TV and said, well, I knew about the lies. I mean, what? I mean, you knew about the lies. I mean, people, people need to pay for that. I mean, we're talking about very serious crimes against humanity. And mm-hmm. when the war in Afghanistan started, let me say this, when the war in Afghanistan started, uh, you know, from my position of someone who, who feels like who, who my starting point is that imper- the United States is an imperialist country. And that is the biggest or one of the biggest problems that, that humanity faces is, is really this age of sort of barbarous uh, imperialism. I, I really saw the war of Afghanistan as the way for the United States to set up shop in a very important strategic area, an important a, a part of the world, Afghanistan, um, that's close to China and Russia. Um, that is, you know, potentially it's right in the middle actually of a very important region in the world with, with India as well. It's just, there's such a huge part of the world's population, most of the world's population. If you if you set up shop your bases in Afghanistan, it gives you a lot of uh, input in terms of like flexing your, for lack of a better way, input to your you know your military military muscle. Um, and then you bring up like the sort of arms manufacturers too. I mean, I'm not sure that. I mean, at this point, I'm like, what exactly has the U.S. What was their plan? <laughs> I mean, if it was a set up shop in Afghanistan, Britain tried that. It probably wasn't going to work either. But I mean, I really, I really think that you make a strong point with the with the um, the military industrial complex. But but I also think that uh, you know people, and I think the Afghanistan papers show this. I mean, we're talking about people who are in charge of the world's most powerful military, who who should be entirely discredited by this the 18 year war in Afghanistan like what was the reason democracy human rights any other th- what was it was it power geostrategic power to me it seems to be really honestly a war without any fundamental without any fundamental reason not i'm not even talking about just reason but just any reason whatsoever and a very dangerous thing that's happened that has happened for the entire mostly for the people of afghanistan but for the rest of us a very very dangerous thing well for instance um donald rumsfeld had said i have no visibility into who the bad guys are right and just framing things in you know, well they're the good guys and the bad guys it's not cartoons 
And, you know, as yeah. it, I think the goaltposts perhaps changed over the long span of this war. Initially, people were talking about a Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India pipeline. And um, right. then that really has disappeared because it looks like it's almost certain. Unical had tried that out in the 80s. It's just not going to be happening. Um, and then people talked about, well, maybe there's something under the ground in Afghanistan that we could extract and, and have great wealth uh, come of that. But that actually also seems fairly unlikely. Uh, but of course, to market the war, the United States made it sound like they had to protect women and children from the Taliban. They had to rebuild. But it's such a curious and, and tragic irony that not only have they certainly not protected women and children from the Taliban, who now hold increasingly more power than was held back when the United States first uh, went into the war, but also because the United States reconstruction money primarily went into constructing the Afghan local police, the Afghan national security forces, the Afghan defense forces, the national defense uh, security intelligence agencies, basically. The only jobs that became available increasingly were jobs in which you'd be trained to kill people or possibly imprison and torture them. And the young people I know, they don't want to do jobs like that. They are very concerned about the environment, as they should be, because it gets worse and worse with poisoned water and poisoned air in their cities. They're concerned about making sure people get some kind of a decent education, but they have to try to catch it on the fly by going online and creating their own curriculum. They want people to be able to eat and to have warmth in the winter, and they do projects to try and make sure the street kids can get some food into their families as a you know, kind of a gift for them coming to the school every time that it's open uh, once a week. They you know, have widows making heavy blankets to give away for free to refugees in these just squalid, horrible camps. But for the United States, the money just always goes to the only things in their toolkit, the soldiers and their weapons and uh, companies with their bombs. And it's so disheartening to see truckloads of fuel and ammunition and clean water going into a sprawling, huge U.S. base that goes on. You drive, and for 20 minutes, you're still driving past the base. And you look to the left, and on the other side of the road is one of the worst refugee camps you can imagine. People living when the harsh weather comes with rain and snow, living in mud and slime and without latrines and without water, clean water. And mothers desperate, how am I going to feed my children? So there's no mercy. I mean, none. In the United States, foreign policy, the State Department, the military, uh, if they every now and then try to say, you know, show a woman with her bayonet hanging off her back uh, in her camo clothes holding a baby. Well, is the mother of that baby going to say, no, you can't pose with my child? Wow. Yeah, we really the war in Afghanistan should have never started, of course, um, but it really it needs to end. The United States has been militarily involved in Afghanistan. I know you know this since really the middle to late uh, 1970s. We're talking about 40 plus years of trillions of dollars and you know military intervention to try to uh, stick our noses uh, in Afghanistan in order to try to manipulate and control the situation on a larger stage. And that just, that has to end. Uh, and especially it's 2019, those things, those interventions in Vietnam, in Korea, uh, in Iraq, 
uh, in Libya. I mean, Libya has been destroyed. The Philippines, um, uh, Panama, Somalia now, Yugoslavia. I mean, they've all wreaked nothing but but havoc. I mean, uh, the entire post World War II era, especially concerning the role of the United States and the United States military in the world, has has been one long tragedy that really needs to at this point in history with all of the questions that we're confronting the climate crisis and actually the possibility of another global confrontation between major powers, uh, it really needs to come to an end. Um, and and I, I intend to, with, with whatever time I have left in my life, Kathy, continue to do the work that we've been doing mm-hmm. and, and bringing those, bringing those wars to an end. Um, you know, I do believe that you're right about a lot of the U S population, uh, um, you know, paying attention to other things, but I'll go back to what, also I'll go back to what you said at the beginning that may seem a little contradictory is if, if people knew, um, if people knew, and I, I will say that people are only concerned about those things probably when things get a little more uh, worrisome. And I think for lots of people, things are more worrisome, more worrisome now. So it provides us, I know this sounds kind of contradictory in a way, but it does provide us an opportunity to keep um, hammering away and imploring people, we've got to stop the U.S. war machine. So I think younger generations are genuinely concerned about climate catastrophe, about mass incarceration, about immigration. And it's wonderful to see people go out on the streets and organize. But I think that we also have to insist, and this I suppose must come from the anti-war movement, that we can't have a rational discussion about how to solve those problems unless we discuss how to tackle the U.S. military, because it's like a, uh, Martin Luther King called it a demonic suction tube. It takes the money, it takes the resources, it takes the ingenuity. And, and what's left is, you know, an, an increasingly smaller pool of money, which lots of people are chasing around trying to get in order to fund the organizations that are trying to solve the very real problems we face, the greatest of which, of course, is the terror of what we're doing to our own environment. So this smokescreen matter of, you know, protecting ourselves from terrorists who might come from some other country, uh, I think has been used again and again and again to frighten people into supporting the United States military and, you know, almost making militarism like the major religion in the United States. And then the other thing is people are afraid they won't have jobs. And if their jobs are linked to Raytheon and uh, global uh, general dynamics, sorry, and Lockheed Martin and Boeing, and, uh, you know, people are afraid that if the bases close, they'll lose jobs. And people are afraid if the supply lines for various kinds of war production are closed, they'll lose jobs. Well, all of those jobs could be saved and converted to dealing, tackling with the real problems we face because of, as I said, what we're doing to our air and our water and our ground. We, we desperately need leadership. And I really think calling on the people in the universities, in the churches, uh, in the uh, community groups, uh, the journalists, to, to keep on tackling that question of what to do about the U.S. military is, is, is very important. It's kind of gone out of vogue in a way, uh, but we have to really insist that uh, people use their positions, in a sense, in any matter of education of the U.S. public to speak out against the United States militarism. 
Well, I agree with you. Oh, I was going to say 100%, but I agree with you 1,000%. I really don't know how we're going to be able to tackle any of our problems if we don't tackle them. The big problems, I mean, how are they not related? That's, that's always my question to people. How is solving the environmental crisis not related to endless war on the Pentagon budget and U.S. imperialism? I mean, we need to, and the immigration crisis, we need to come together. For, I know it sounds simplistic, but the human race actually has to come together. And the only way we come together is we marshal our resources to tackle these problems. You know, human beings and capitalism, I'll say, I think it's capitalism, have, have caused these problems. And only the people themselves are going to solve them. And I'll just reiterate what I said again. If it's not about, if we're not trying to tackle the question of the United States and the world and what that means for the planet, then I, I don't I don't know how we can tackle the other problems. I'm optimistic. The climate, the, the young people out in the streets uh, fighting for the planet gives me great optimism. And I think there's no reason why they cannot um, also take up the mantle of stopping war. I mean, it seems to me, honestly, like saving the planet and stopping war, right? I mean, it, it seems like they, they have to go together. Maybe now that I say it that way. So I don't know, Kathy, do you have a, you, you want to respond? Go ahead. Well, I do think that some in the Extinction Rebellion are starting now in uh, Europe to link up further with campaigns against arms trade and other kinds of um, anti-war groups. So let's hope that we can take a cue from that more so than we have here in the United States. And um, certainly the shipment of weapons to countries like Saudi Arabia also has to be challenged. And people would have a chance to do that on Saturday at 12 noon. Uh, at 745 North Michigan in front of Lush Cosmetics. That's a store that has three stores in Saudi Arabia, and Code Pink and Voices are teaming up to say close those stores. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. People should join them um, here in Chicago. That's in Chicago. I was going to ask you December 14th. September 14th. December 14th. Sorry, December. December 14th. I was going to ask you to make your plug, but you already made it. So, Kathy, (laughs) I want to thank you so much. It's always... I wish that we talked more. Uh, every time that I talk Thank to you, you I find it um, very illuminating and it gives me more optimism, especially knowing everything you've done in your life for the cause of peace, for the, cause of, the causes of peace and justice. So um, I don't know, Kathy, thank you. Let's, uh, let's, keep, let's keep fighting the good fight. The beat goes on. Thank you, Jen. All right. All right, that's it for this episode. Until next time, keep your heads up, your fists in the air. Keep doing the good work you're doing or if you're not doing work, join the movement. Together, we will prevail. Bye.